Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spastiano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Well, Dan, things were going good. I was dating a hooker, and things were going really well. Unfortunately, she got into a slight car accident, and she started going to the doctor uh, for physical therapy. And, you know, she couldn't really perform her occupation for a while, and it got her down in the dumps. And she said that to me, and I said, well, don't worry. You'll, you'll be back on your knees before you know it. Jeez. <laughs> and I haven't seen her since. Oh, man. Terrible. Terrible. You know, Benny, we have a lot of stuff coming up. We've talked about on the show, big events coming up, especially those tied to our friends and sponsors at the BWC. And short of having Jimmy coming on the show himself, I can't think of anybody better equipped to talk about some of the BWC than our guest tonight. Benny, why don't you tell everybody who we got on the phone with us? Yes, we evening? have another another Valiant, the uh, Boogie Woogie Boy, Gary Valiant, who has wrestled for a long, long time. We're very delighted and honored to have him on our show. Gary, welcome to uh, Dan and Benny in the Ring. Hey, guys, what's going on? Thank you guys so much for having me. It's such an honor to be, to be on y'all's show. Well, thanks again, Gary, for your time. This is a huge honor. I mean, Benny and I are both fans of your work. But uh, I wanted to ho hope maybe you could kind of give a shout-out. Uh, I know there's a lot of stuff coming up, and uh, our friends and our sponsor in partnership with the BWC, why don't you tell everybody, uh, in your own words, what makes BWC so, such a great school at, at Jimmy and his crew up there? I think it's because they, they have passion for the business. They have uh, um, they have the love for it. Um, and they've got this amazing, um, uh, they got an amazing arena up there, you know, a great place to work out. It's, you know, it's a safe place. Uh, and, and if you go back and look at um, the AEW camp, you know, he came out of there. Hangman Page came out of the Yes, camp. sir. So, uh, um, and, and it's, you know, it's every Sunday. Uh, you, know, you know, good and well that you know every Sunday you're gonna have to you're going to go and work work out and bust your butt. And uh, and, and and you know, Jimmy Jimmy's really got a lot of um, he's got a lot of love for the business. He he just wants to give back, and that's 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 the thing about it. Uh, you can find somebody that that loves this business and, and want to give back. That's where you need to go. Gary, will you be there on for his birthday bash? That's uh. August the seventh, which I guess is three weeks from Sunday. No, I'm going to be there on October the second, where the thirty year uh, graduation. Oh, I'll, I'll uh, see you there then. I'll be there too. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be there August the seventh. I have a big show, and uh, um, so uh, I won't be able to make it that. Gotcha. Yes, Benny. That's uh, when you're going to be an honorary graduate, right? Hopefully, I don't trip over the ropes. That's, that's all I'm hoping for. I think you'll be fine. I mean, you've already cameoed in the uh, the background of the that high-rated uh, high video of the belts being returned home. Oh, so yeah. That was I a great you, moment, actually. That was, that was really cool. You got your name there yes, sir. already, and I mean, can't say enough good stuff about them. But moving to the man of the hour, uh, Gary... We're going to start with the obvious. Um, it's the same question we ask everybody, and everyone's story is so unique and different. <clears throat> so I'm going to ask you, uh, 
when did the wrestling bug, as it were, bite you? What was the moment where you said, hey, wrestling, this is what I love. This is, you know, you became a fan. And then from that, can you pinpoint the exact moment you went from fan to wrestling is what I'm going to do for a career? Uh, I believe I was in like the 10th grade grade. I started wrestling in middle school. And I was, um, you know, I was um, going to the five rounds. And, and, but I was also traveling. Uh, to Memphis and everywhere else, uh, but I was at the National Flag Round, and um, believe it or not, Jamie Dundee was there, running around crazy and you know making coffee nervous, and 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 Jamie's going, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something with my dad, you know, and he was like 16 years old, and I go, you know what, if Jamie can do it, why can't I do it? And then um, the more I saw wrestling in school, the, the the more I uh, got into it. And, but I knew it was two different kinds of wrestling. So um, I was already in Nashville, and um, and so I was just talking to Jamie, and I, I said, hey, Jamie, uh, will your dad train us? You know, will, you, will your dad, uh, uh, what, what do you think about your dad training us? And, and Bill looked at me at one time, because I, I was like 150 pounds in high school, and he said, he said kid, you're going to have to gain some weight. And... Uh, but I couldn't gain no weight at the time because I was wrestling at that certain weight class. But uh, it was like the more I went, the more I went every every single night. It's like, man, this is cool. And and when you, you grow up, you want to be a football player, baseball player, you know. But when that when that thing hits, you know it. It's like this is what I want to do. And I even had a high school skip. Uh, my senior year, where I wanted to be a wrestler. So you know I had a bad end. <laughs> so was it was it Bill Dundee that trained you, Gary? Yeah, Bill trained uh, my brother, my half brother, and I uh, um, trained us in 1990, and I wasn't even uh, graduated out of high school yet, and I couldn't say that because I was still wrestling in high school, and because Jimmy was already in Virginia, so uh, Bill Dundee trained uh, my brother, uh, my half brother, and I. His name is Billy Scott. He um, once we got finished training with Bill, we spent six six months at Candy Divine's gym, uh, getting trained by a guy named He had a American wife named Kathy. He trained us to be a shoot fighter. And but while we were training to be shoot fighters, we was also wrestling in a, in a little place called Columbia, Tennessee, for um, um, Freddie Morton and uh, I don't know if you ever heard of him, Mephisto and Dante, Tommy Higgins. Um, probably one of the best best builds no. ever. Uh, but looking up Tommy Higgins, he uh, Tommy really uh, molded us to be a, a true a true baby face because he would beat the hell out of us week after week after week. And um, and I kept going, why am I getting why am I getting beat the hell out of every week? But then after about the six or seven weeks, I realized these people are going nuts because I just won. And it, that was that is what taught me psychology. But um, my my uh, ex-wife at the time, in 1992, she was pregnant with my first kid. And um, they, we were supposed to go and fight in Japan, and they couldn't fly me back if something happened. So I told my half-brother going over there and fight over there, and I'll go on the next trip. Well, before the next trip came around is when uh, uh, Jeff Garrett um, was just going. He was about to go to WWE at the time. And... Um, Jeff and asked, would I be interested in working for WWE? 
And so uh, they hooked me up with a guy named Barry Horwitz, Marino Riggins, and Ben Jordan. And um, we, would, uh, we would all fly to Nashville together. And um, it was crazy because we would do we would do money we would do WWE Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, fly fly home Thursday, get in the car and drive from Nashville, literally drive from Nashville to Dallas, Texas and do Global Wrestling Federation in Dallas and then drive back and stop by and do nothing TV on Saturday morning and then drive home. Well, let me ask you something, Gary. You talk about Bill Dundee and the <clears throat> the uh, training and, and whatnot, but um, when you were getting involved, first getting involved in the business, was there any wrestlers at the time other than the trainers or maybe even directly the trainers um, who influenced your in-ring style, which was very unique for the time? Um, I think it was Jimmy Bryant because he was different. Um, Jimmy, Jimmy Bryant and um, Austin Idol because they, they were just, they were different. But I always wanted to, I didn't want to be, I guess I wanted to be noticed. I wanted to be that funny type of guy, but I didn't want to be, uh, you know, I didn't want to be like a wrestler. But when I was seeing him do his entrance, uh, and that's when he was of a depth to his skill. And then, uh, you know, and I wanted to be kind of flamboyant like that. Because it was like he wore all these crazy colors, and he didn't care. He did not care what people said, but he stood out. It doesn't matter how good you wrestle; it's how you can how you can make these fans look at you or see you or remember you, and that's what I always wanted to leave a mark on. Because, you know, they, these people might not even remember who I am, but they remember what I got. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, well, then let me ask you the, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I thought you were finished. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, um, you talk about Jimmy's style. Was it because it was different, and I imagine different from what you were trained, was it harder to, I don't want to say emulate, for lack of a better word, was it harder to kind of emulate because really nobody was doing what he was doing at the time? Um, yeah, it was. But, you know, I never wanted to be Jimmy Valiant. I just wanted to be half as good as him. But um, I knew if I'd done something that he'd done, it would be totally different. Because a lot of people would be so nervous and just go straight to the ring. They would never go out and react to the people. And and I'll tell you a little story. Um, I was wrestling in Mississippi about 15 years ago, and I was wrestling in a horse arena. And they played my music like probably time. And I danced all the way to the top of the bleachers, all the way up onto the roof. And when I got back, Jackie Fargo and Jerry Lawler were in the dressing room together. And I walked back, and Jackie Fargo said, Kid, come here. And he said, Can I ask you why you took all that time and went and all with always to the top of the bleachers like you did. I go, sir, I feel like that um, the people that can't afford $45 tickets and pay 5 or $10 for a ticket, they need to be part of the show, too. And he says, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. And talking about being nervous and two knocks up mind, I was nervous at the time, uh, coming from Jackie Fargo. But Bill Dundee did not want me to do none of the Jimmy Vine stuff. 
He did not. He told me he said, Kid, you're too good of a wrestler. You're too good of a, you know, technical wrestler to be doing that stuff. But what really got me was about, I don't know, two and a half, two and a half years ago, Bill and Dick sent me a message. And it made me cry for almost an hour. He says, I didn't ever want you to do this gimmick because I knew you was way too good to do this, do this whole, you know, dancing in the crowd and kissing all these people down there. He says, but you made it your own gimmick. He says, you made it your own style. And he says, and I want to let you know I'm proud of you. And it, that right there, it doesn't matter how many title belts I won. It doesn't matter where I've been in life, no matter where I travel. That coming from Bill Dundee, it filled my face. I, I, I finally got his approval. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I understand that. Gary, um, now I I write a lot of stories for uh, the Pro Wrestling Stories website. And for my research, I'll use a, a website called WrestlingData.com. Uh, it has a lot of details as far as matches, titles, and things like that. And um, so... According to them, uh, your your first match was in Dallas, Texas, on November twenty second, nineteen ninety one. Did they get that right? Or was it was before that. That was no, that was wrong. Um, my first match was in Columbia, Tennessee, and um, around the um, um, Nashville area. The ninety one Dallas, Texas, was probably the first time I wrestled in Dallas, and um, that's when Eddie Gilbert was starting to book for global. Uh, so that's probably why, where they got that from. So w- what year did you wrestle your first match? Uh, 1990. Okay. In the 90s, it was with uh, me and my brother. We went to see the Scott brothers. You can look it up. So you, you're uh, 32 years strong. Yeah. That's amazing. And, like and one thing I one thing I learned from Jerry Lawler, and I took this to heart. He told me once before, he said, kid, your body's not like a car. Once you wreck it, you can't trade it in. So that's why I tried to do the gimmick that I do, because then I don't have to go out there and beat up my body, but I can still get the people to enjoy what I'm doing. Well, let me ask you, after that, <clears throat> Looks like you you transitioned. You went and um, worked for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, uh, and then through through ninety two, ninety three, and ninety four, you were with WWE. You mentioned doing some of the t- early TV tapings there. Um, I mean, you you you're uh, during that time you shared the ring with Hall of Famers and legends like like Backlund, uh, Yokozuna, Scott Hall, Jerry Lawler, uh, Hearts. Uh, I'm curious. Two points to the question here. One. Smoky Mountain. I was wondering if you have any stories from there because Jim Cornette comes up on this show a lot, and I don't think Smoky Mountain gets the rep, the the respect it deserves, being su- uh, such a quality show despite what was going on at the time. Uh, so I was wondering if you have any kind of stories you could share from your time in Smoky Mountain. Uh, I think Smoky Mountain was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because they were still old school. They were still going back to the southern, telling the story, um, making everything real, making everything believable. Um, 
and and Cornet was he was super smart. I don't think people realize how smart Cornet really is to this day. Um, yeah, he he's gonna say what's on his mind and it makes a lot of people angry, but he speaks the truth. But everything that he speaks is the truth. Uh, I wish, in my opinion, I wish he would have had more money and more backing because I think it would have went um, a whole lot further. I, I just think that he was competing against WWE just like Memphis Wrestling was. Once WWE came on cable, it's like it, it pretty much wiped all the, all the little small companies out. But um, I enjoyed working with Paul Orndorff. I, um, I became really good friends with Prime Time Brian Lee. Um, uh, that's when Man Dutch became, you know, pretty close. Um, you know, I got to work, uh, you know, with uh, uh, Tony Anthony. So, uh, you know, Jerry Lynn. Um, and that, that's where I think I felt blessed because I got to work with the veterans that actually uh, took their time and told me what I was doing wrong and what I was doing right. And I think that you lose that these days, I, I believe. You really, uh, you really wrestled. I, mean, I, I, I actually watched a bunch of your WWE matches. Um, you, you really, you wrestled uh, Mr. Backlund, Yokozuna, Razor Ramon, uh, Jerry Lawler, Owen Hart, uh, the One Two Three Kid, and the Immortal Mantar. <laughs> so how, how was that? I mean, you really, I mean, you, you got, you got all the tough matches there. Um, Mantar was, he was kind of a, uh, you know. I also got to wrestle Shawn Michaels and Kevin Nash when they were the tag team champions. Man, Reno Riggins got to work for him. That should be on there too. Um, but um, I, I don't, I don't know if you got to see the um, the match between me and Odd Man Johnson. But uh, the the funniest story about this one is you know, Odd Man just Odd Man Johnson just came in and uh, um, we worked a match and um, I walked to the curtain and in the grill position and Vince McMahon said, "Kid, do you mind doing this?" Yeah. I go, no, sir. So he sent me back out there, and Odd Man walked in, and Vince says, go back there and do the same match. Odd Man Johnson said, same match? He said, yeah. So we went out there and done it again. I walked back up the ramp again, and, uh, and Vince says, kid, would you mind doing it one more time? I go, no, sir. Odd Man walks in, and he says, do it, do it again. And Odd Man says, you want me to do the same match the third time in front of 80,000 people? And Vance looked down and says, I don't give a damn about these 80,000 people. I'm worried about these millions of people on TV. So right then, that told me that that Vance was worried about, uh, you know, he didn't care about the people in the, in the seats. He was worried about reaching out to around the world. And that made sense after, after you know, thought about it. So. Well, I want to ask you about the transition from, you, you mentioned, obviously, the the tag team matches and your time in the, in the WWF, what would have been the WWF at the time. Um, I want you to go to talk about your transition from that to working with Jimmy Valiant, your, your first match as Gary Valiant, uh, was in 1996. Um, how did that come about? That was actually in 19, probably 1992 or three. Uh, the 96 was probably the first one that got filmed. Okay. Uh, uh, Jimmy uh, was always in, uh, in, in Tennessee, and I was raised by a single mom. And um, I was just, 
always around, you know, and I, I told Jimmy, I said, I love your gimmick and I would love to, love to be like you one day. And, um, and, um, I'm not the only way he was in Winchester, Tennessee. And he said, he said, you stick with me. And he said, um, you're my boy. You're my son from now on. From now on. And talking about my, talking about my heart drop, my heart dropped because I just got to talk to somebody that I idolized. And from that day, he took care of me for the last 30-something years. And, um, he is more or less my dad because he he was my father figure for for the last thirty something years and to this day he still calls me or I call him and check on him all the time or when he comes from to Nashville or Memphis or Mississippi or Arkansas he stays with me. And um and every father's day and you know, I, I call him and tell him I love you dad and and, and every single time we hang up when I say, I love you, Dad, and he said, I love you, son. And um, he, is, um, he is truly, um, uh, in my heart, he's truly my, my father because he, he took care of me for, like I said, the last 30 years. I can respect that, absolutely. I, I don't think, Benny, in all the, the conversations we've had on the show, and people we've talked about on the show. I mean, this is our 79th episode. I think Jimmy is one of, if not the only person we've talked about on this show that I don't think anyone has ever said a bad word about. I think he's, I think he's the most beloved wrestler on the planet, honestly. Sorry, Gary. And that's why I've never, that, that's why I've never drank, never smoked, never partied, never took any kind of pills. Because I've never wanted to disappoint him. You know, um, if it wasn't for him, who would I be today? And that's that's straight from the hill. Um, because he done something he didn't have to do, and he took me as a as a young kid, and he pretty much molded me, and and and, and um, pretty much my father said and told me what I was doing wrong or right, or you know, I would I would I was I was able to call him, you know. At, Two o'clock in the morning, say, hey, you know, this is what's going on in my life, and he would, he would just say, hey, just take one day at a time. Or um, when I was going through my divorce, the best advice he gave me, he said, whatever she writes about you, or whatever she says about you, do not read it, do not listen to it. He said, out of sight, out of mind. And he said, if you don't see it, do not think about it. And that's one of the best advice he ever got. Gary, I got, I got a two-part question for you, and two different, entirely different subjects. But so the first one is, uh, what is it like? I mean, just to be able to use the name Valiant and to be able to call—I think Jimmy is one of the best human beings on this, on the face of this earth, and nobody can convince me otherwise. So, what is it like to be able to call Jimmy Valiant Dad and tell him that you love him? That's the first question, and then second question is. Um, so you said you started 1990. So you're 32 years in. You know, some people probably last like 32 minutes. How how long do you plan on keep on to keep on going? Uh, well, the first question is: I feel honored and true blessed, and I give God all um, all the praise because God put him in the right spot at the right time. 
And uh, but as far as being able to call Jimmy Valiant, my dad, and him calling me son, and we love each other. I um I am truly blessed from you know um from from the day one, and I would not turn turn any anything down, and I would not change anything uh, in my wrestling career. And um, and then as far as the, the second question is. Is I just turned 50 years old, and people say, "Well, you know, when, when are you going to stop? When are you having fun? You know, um, when I get in the ring and I do my match, and at the end of the I get the in the ring with me to do the boogie dance. That's what I do it for. That's why the kids is what the kids is what drives me. Um, because I've had kids, well, I've had drunks from me." And say, Boogie, I remember you getting me in the ring with you 15 years ago. Um, there's a little, a little guy, a little, uh, um, a, a man, uh, a little, uh, God, what's his name, um, a little Omega or something like that. Uh, his name's Kevin. But he came up to me one time and he said, Boogie, I want to let you know. He said, you were the reason I became a wrestler. And if I can, uh, if I can do that to somebody, then I feel like I've done my job. Uh, you know, I just, I just feel blessed that I'm in that that spot, Bibla. You know, that spot like Bibla to influence somebody or be able to, uh, you know, I, how do I know that somebody ain't looking at me and say, "Hey, I want to be like him. I want to be a wrestler one these days." You know, and um. That's what that's what you strive for, you know. Uh, just like you know, we look up to God for answers, and we look up to, to God for for um, you know guidance. You know, if I can help some little kid um, go the right way and not be able to, and, and show him, hey, you can have a life partying without doing drugs or drinking. You know, if I can help one kid out of ten, I feel like I've done my job. I. Well, let me ask you then, since since you've got such experience uh, over the decades, you spoke highly of, of Smoky Mountain earlier. Um, as you travel today and work today, do you have a favorite promotion you like working for today? Well, I work for um, USA Championship Wrestling for the, uh, Casey Gold, who, who took over for Burke Clinic. Um, you know, I work for everybody. You know, I really don't have a a special one because all of them really treat me well and, and respect. And uh, so uh, can I pick out one? No, because all of them are, uh, are really, really good people to work for. Um, I, I think my, I think one of my best opponents would have to be um, Adam Pierce. And I got to work him in, in Tennessee when he was in NWA camp. And, you know, um, now, the, I would say if I had a favorite, I would say the NWA at the time. Um, but it's not the same NWA that I work for because it's different. Different owners, different, different people running it. But um, I, back in the day, I really loved working for NWA because I, they gave me that um, opportunity in the spotlight to work, um, you know, Adam Pierce as the NWA champ. I got to work Phil Shatter as the NWA national champion. So um, 
you know, NWA always uh, hold a hold a special place in my heart. But as far as pinpointing companies now, you know, I, I work for RWF as Gallatin. Uh, I, I work for MSWA out of Rockwood, Rock Harley. Um, I'm about to go work for um, Heroes and Legends. You know, I do a lot of work for UCW for Terry England out of the state of Kentucky. I do quite a bit of work for EPW for Neil Taylor in Columbus, Mississippi. Um, I'm about to go back to the SAWF, the Valley Arena in Tuffman, Arkansas. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I work for quite a few people, and um, I, I don't have a bad word to say about none of them. Well, let me ask you then, too, on that one. You, you obviously you talked about Adam Pierce and, and some of the NWA talent you've worked with. Your career through the past three decades, you've been in the ring with countless legends, Hall of Famers. I mean, some of the names you mentioned, Shawn Michaels, Jerry Lawler, obviously Jimmy Valiant. These are the, some of the talent you've shared the ring with are people that are regarded as the greatest wrestlers in their generation and some of the greatest of all time. Do you have... A, uh, a favorite opponent or someone that you you've absolutely loved to work with uh, not to put you on the spot for that but do you have like a famous uh, favorite or how, how to word it properly somebody that you absolutely love to work with and and you know just just never could say a bad word about being in the ring with um me is Jeff Daniels uh 10 years ago all that the cripple Jeff Daniels um, we worked countless times, and I think the best advice I ever got was uh, Tony Falk came up to, to me and Jeff one night and, and told us, he says, Dad, he says, uh, y'all remind me of Flair and Steamboat. He says, because we changed the finish of our match four times in one night because we didn't think the people was, was ready to see that finish. And But we done that countless times um, over over the last you know the, the the over the time that we worked and it's because we both wanted to make the people go holy shit and I'm sorry for that bad word but uh, I'm always looking for that um, the oh my god moment and that's why I believe today that I, I still get to work today is because 80% of my matches is they get the hell beat out of me. Um, because Christy Crane can't make no money if they don't sell donuts. The gas stations can't make no money if they don't sell that. Baby faces cannot make no money if they don't sell. And the more you make these people believe this stuff is real, I take this business as magic. And I'm going to ask both of y'all questions. Do both of y'all like magic? Oh, yeah. Until you see how it's done, right? I don't want to see how it's done. I'd rather not understand it and just watch it. Well, I spent I spent years working at a magic shop, so uh, I I enjoy it for different reasons. Right, but a lot of uh, but I take it as a as magic because a lot of people like to sit down and watch a magic trick until they come up a week later and show how it's done, and then they don't like it no more. They go, "Oh my God, that ain't." It, it blows uh, everything. It blows blows everything, your whole imagination. And I, this is how I treat this business. If I go on the floor and I'm two feet in front of these people, they better hit me. 
they better leave a mark on me. You know why? Because when that mark is on me, the people that stuff ain't for me. Make that mark. And if you make these people believe that what you're doing, then guess what? They're going to come back. And maybe I take this business um, too much. But if I can't make this click, these people in these fans believe what I'm doing, then I don't need to be out there. Well, maybe without spilling too much dirt, let me ask you the other side of that question. Do you have a least favorite opponent or someone that you just absolutely dreaded having to work with? Uh, no, uh, because I'm just that is who I work. It takes two. You cannot square dance with one person one by yourself. Um, so, um, no, I, I really don't because, um, you know, you just, just, I can go out there and I can make, I can probably make somebody look crappy one night if I'm not really into it and whatever. So, um, no, I'm not going to, I don't have a, somebody I really don't want to work. Um, because they might have an off night, they might have had a bad night, they might have something on their mind at the time. But, uh, no, I, and, and it doesn't matter if you've been in the business a year, you've been in it 30 years. You know, we're, we're, we're a team. We're, we're, uh, we're squad dancing together. And I'm just as good as what I make him look. He's just as good as what he makes me look. And so it takes two. So if one person messes up, that means we both mess up. So, uh, Gary, I have a quick comment, and then maybe it's not quick, but a comment and then a, a question for you. So, you know, you made you made that remark earlier about connecting, you know, connecting with people, and one of the reasons why I'm such a huge fan of independent wrestling is, it, it, and at least this is my observation anyway, is the connection that the wrestlers make with the fans, and especially right. uh, you know with the young kids. I mean, if you take the time to like, you know give a high five or say, say something to a kid, you know, that kid's going to remember that for years. And they're going to always say, you know, I remember when I was, you know, 11 years old and Gary Valiant said, uh, you know, that I was a good kid or he gave me a high five. I mean, so that's, that's something that, that, you know, nope, nobody could take away from either one of you. So that, that's my comment. And then my question is um, the, the, the matches that I watched. So you wrestled uh, one, two, three kid and, and razor, and both really, really good matches, and you were wrestling as a heel. And then you actually got Mantar off his feet with a dropkick, I think. And, and, you know, you wrestled that one as a baby face. What, did you have a preference? Do you have a preference wrestling heel or baby face? Well, I, I, I wrestled heel um, just, just, just very little. Uh, that was in the, in the uh, late 90s. Um, matter of fact, that's where James Storm came up with Far Back to Damn Luck. Because me and Shane Morton was healed, and we was going to the BWO, and we had the people so angry and so mad, they told the promoters they was not ever coming back unless we apologized to them. So we went back the following week, and we had two shirts on. And it said, Far Back to it said BWO on the first one, and on the, on the second one, it said Far Back to Damn Luck. So we went out there and we uh, said, y'all want us to apologize to y'all? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we pulled our shirts off and saw back to damn luck. And we told them and walked off. We didn't apologize to no damn body. So when we was doing 
NWA main event TV for a guy named Mike Porter. Uh, Shane got hurt or something, and uh, we was uh, we was in transition going from being a heel to we was actually called the Southern Comfort. You can look it up too. We was uh, the first Cowboys before smoking guns. Uh, but James Storm, uh, we was helped training him. He went through Jeff Jarrett's school, and then he came to Columbia, and when I got his shoulder hurt, he came to Columbia. Man, Shane was working with him, taking him around to different towns. Well, Shane got hurt, and Bert was, Bert Prince on the right to, to the fairgrounds in Nashville. And he got the rights to Ken Ames to Jeff Jarrett to run the fairgrounds as long as he would use some of his guys. Well, he used, they used James Storm and Chris Hess. And James called me up one time and he said, Boogie, he says, uh, do you mind if I use your fan? And I thought he was going to use it on an interview. And uh, two weeks later, Shane Morton called me and said, hey, tell you on Ken A. And it had America's Most Morning on the front and it had started by the damn luck on the back. So James pretty much got that from us. <laughs> <laughs> So and, and that that's the true that's a true story, true shoot. Um, you can ask anybody. Uh, that's where it literally came from. Huh. Now he's got it at his entrance. His ring entrance. <laughs> <laughs> what was your uh, your finder's fees? Ten percent, right? Yeah, yeah. I've seen James quite a few times. He still ain't saying nothing about royalty. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, let me ask you the uh, schedule that you have. Uh, you, you talked about obviously working and, and different things. About uh, typically, how many matches a year are you working now? I'm working about three to four nights a week. Oh wow! Okay. And the, re- the reason why is because you know, I know this probably sounds guys, but the less I wrestle, the worse I feel. And if I know I got a match coming up, then I'll go down to the gym and I'll work out, or I'll try to get loose, or because I don't, I don't want to be one of these guys, and, and I'm not, I'm not knocking nobody, but I don't want to be one of these guys. That the fans go, oh my God, why is he still doing it? You know, he's, he's too old. Why is he still doing it? Um, that's why I, I put a gym in my house because the, and and people don't realize it, but when you know you got a match coming up, you want to be in top top shape, or you want to at least be, you know, looking good or whatever. And so in my mind, if I know I have a match, I know I want to work out. If I take off for a week, I want him to walk downstairs to go to the gym. So that kind of motivates me. <laughs> so. so, Gary, is it, are they mostly, mostly Saturdays, the shows, or do they run shows during the week? I mean, are you working like 52 nights a year or? Can, can you get more matches than that? I could get more matches if I wanted to, but uh, you know they got they got uh, 127 uh, Pro 127 and uh, it, it's uh, code on Thursday night, and then you know you can get a you can get a Friday night anywhere you want to, you know, and, and around Tennessee or Arkansas or Kentucky or wherever you want to, and then you know all you gotta do is just pick up a dart and throw it, and you can find a Saturday night anywhere. So uh, like. Um, you know, like I was in, you know, Memphis last Saturday, uh, and then you know, McDonald's and this Saturday coming up, and you know, and then the following, you know, I, I'm doing um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to be going back to uh, St. Louis for Herb Simpson, you know, one, 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 one of the best promoters I've ever worked on in St. Louis. Uh, and then I got some shows coming up in West Virginia, um, Alabama. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, just wherever, you know, I, and I don't want to, I don't like to go to the same show every week. Um, I'll go to a show and I try to go to a different one, a different one. I do not like to go back to back to back. I tell you why, because with my gimmick, it's almost like being a midget or being a woman back in the day. You know, um, if you go there uh, every week, then people get tired of seeing you. But if you come once every three or four months, you go, oh my God, Boogie's coming back. And, you know, and with my gimmick, I dance in the crowd and I, you know, I, I want to find the oldest, toothless woman I can find. If she's pretty, I'm not going to kiss her. If she's 65 years old, you better believe I'm going to kiss her. Because she's going to buy a picture, she's selling something. You tell a 65-year-old woman she's like a butterfly. Say, baby, you're pretty to look at the hardest ever kept. She's going to buy a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm going to steal say, the... So you're, like a, so you're like a four-leg clover. So you're hard as hell to find, but lucky to have. She's buying a picture. So... <laughs> See, Benny, you need to take notes. That's how you talk to women right there. I, 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 yeah, I, I got my notebook right here. I, I, uh, I just don't ever do what I've done to my girlfriend. I asked her, I said, honey, can you multitask? She goes, yeah. I said, yes, then I'll be quiet. Do not ever say that because it never worked out good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I asked her the other day, I said, honey, I said, why does that stove have four eyes and still can't see nothing burning? She turned around and started throwing pans at me. I stood still because I know if I took off money, she'll hit me every time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Gary, do you... But, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go right ahead. Well, no. I was going to ask, if, do you watch the uh, current product or follow the current product at all? And if so, you have any thoughts on it? Uh, no, I don't like watching the product. The simple fact. I sit there and critique it. I will not go to a show that I'm not working on uh, because to me, it's not telling the story. And I tell these young guys all the time, and this might make sense to you guys, it might not, but I tell these young guys all the time. I said, guys, I said, you've got to tell a story. I said, why do people watch Roadrunner and Coyote for years? Because they wanted to always want to watch Coyote catch the road on him, but the road, the, but Coyote was a heel. Every time he got real close, something blew up in his face. This is what this business is all about. You always got to bring these people to come back to something. But these people want to go out there and they want to do all these flips and these flops and all this and all that. I tell these young kids, do not go out in that ring and do something you can't do out on the street. Because if you can't do it out on the street, how are the people going to believe? that you're doing in here. And and this is what I try to explain to the young guys also. I love Ricochet to death. I love him to death. Hell of a worker. Great worker. But can he come back in 10 years from now and do the exact same thing he's doing now? No, because his knees are not like sock absorbers. His ankles are not like freaking, you know, um, the, the rods are, are in our car or, or alignments in our car. Your ankles and your knees are going to be tore up with all them flips and flops, standing on the concrete, and twisting your ankle. No, he's not going to be able to come back 10 years from now and do the 
same exact thing. But you know what? It's kind of funny that Hogan can come back and still get over with shaking his hand. The Rock can come back over and get on the microphone and do exactly um, because the people are not taking time to entertain the people these days. Uh, you got to, the, the Hills, I don't know how much y'all watch it, but the Hills will not stop and talk to the fans and, and argue with the fans. If you hit me 10 times, is that really going to hurt me? But if you hit me once or twice and you let me sell it and then you turn and talk to the people, guess what? They're going to go, holy shit, is really hitting me. But if you tell them fans, I'm going to hit him again if you don't shut up. These people, if they wanted to watch wrestling, they would watch it on TV. If they wanted to be entertained, they're going to have to come watch it live. That's the way I take it. It doesn't matter if there's five people, if there's 500 people in that crowd, they come to watch wrestling to be entertained. You they say... You... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You say you want to be careful doing like uh, stuff in the ring that you can't do on the street. Are you telling me if you're not going to chase off a mugger by hitting them with 12 straight super kicks? Is that, is that unrealistic? Exactly right. You think, you think, you think a mugger is going to sit there and let you kick him 12 times? You could do like uh, Eric Watson, give the guy the, uh, the STF at the, the gas station. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But just like the hills these days, um, when they go and they cheat, they stand around and they, and they stop and they stand around and they and they take the sweet time getting back to rock on. Okay, right? But when somebody goes and robs the bank, do they stand around and wait for somebody to take the picture? <laughs> that's that's a fair point, yeah. Right. If the people can cuss you tonight after you cheated, why do they need to buy a ticket next week to come back and cuss you? Do your damage, get the hell out. Don't even let the people even have a word to say to you. Because you know why? They're going to get so mad and come back the following week because they're going to be built up all week. I'm going to cuss them when I get there. But if you let them cuss you that night, then guess what? You just let them do what they wanted to do. Can't argue with that. I also think it goes to the subconscious psychology. Maybe something that's not direct, but your mind just knows that's, that's not right. Or something's out of place, you know, back in the, back in the, in the heyday, you mentioned like, you know, your time at Smoky mountain and some of the territories and, you know, you, you reach under the ring, they pull out, you know, a chair, a table, maybe a toolbox, you know, so you can hit somebody with a wrench or whatever. Nowadays they go under the ring and they, they pull out a trash can filled with, you know, kendo sticks and a, and a, uh, you know, lighter fluid is, and, and your mind just immediately goes, well, what is that doing under there? You know, you have all these 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 unrealistic bits, or even uh, something Cornette harps on with. You know, uh, you talked about the heels staying too long when the heels attack somebody and nobody comes to help. No refs, no security, no nothing. It, it, it's it's to the point where it's like, wait a minute, I, you're actively committing a crime on TV right now, and nobody's doing anything about it. Right, and you know, even they took the camera and put all the baby faces in one room and locked the door when they couldn't get out. That could be real, you know, but they don't do that. They just keep ringing the bell. And I hate that, too, because it puts the heat, puts the heat on the baby faces because we don't come out and make the thing. You know, um, the biggest pop I got one night is that Chris Champion getting get beat the hell out of And Chris says, but I want you to make the save. And I go, I'm going to do it in soap water, soapy water. He goes, what are you going to do? 
So I said, watch this. And I went down and got all down in my trunk and I went in the shower. And when the, when the time was right, you know, I was I was half ass, had soap all over me and everything. But the people believed it because I had a rep go, hey, hey, we need help. So I ran straight out of the lock on, you know. But the people go, oh, my God, he was actually taking a shower. But here we go again. When you put that in their mind, hey, this stuff must be real because he left the shower to come out and help us. And I think that's where we've lost the art of this business. Um, because people say, oh, this stuff is fake. It's fake. No, no, it ain't fake. Yeah, it's a choreographed sugar. But if people, if we didn't get hurt, why is people going to rehab, you know, all, this, all the time? Why is people dying of drug overdose? Why is people dying of, of you know, of alcohol? It's because they, they use it as a crutch because they, they, they're in pain. Well, the rain poles don't move. That concrete floor don't move. Um, you know, you, you jump in the ring and be all excited and start swinging your arms and tell me how many times that you don't have to contact, give contact to me because you're so excited. You know? <laughs> yeah, it, we get hurt. We, we get hurt. But don't hit me between my forehead and my chin. There's too much money there. My eyeballs, my nose, my, my teeth. You, you know, there's surgery that could be bookies of money like that. Uh, but we don't teach that no more. We don't teach people to uh, bend them over and, and just give a forearm to the back. No, they, they want to be all these gymnastic people, and I think that's why wrestling business is going downhill. Gary, I have a question for you. Kind of a hypothetical question. It's kind of the same thing we just we just talked about. Maybe just phrased a different way, but just imagine, you know, you're back in 1990, and you, I mean, you just started wrestling. You don't know, you don't know anything. You don't, you don't know what the future holds. And say, you know, somebody comes with a time machine, and they take you to the year 2022, and you, they, they, they drop you off ringside at a, a WWE and an AEW show. What would you think uh, when you watch those shows? Like in, in your wildest dreams, would you have ever imagined that you know the wrestling that you were doing in 1990 had evolved into what you know what you're seeing in uh, in 2022? No, I would go. What the world happen one day? All these people get get weak for um, because people like that. Just like people watch when they watch the news. They don't give good news because people don't want to hear good news. They want to hear bad news because everybody is always uh, jealous of the good news. But if you tell somebody bad news, that's just like being in wrestling news. If somebody's getting beat up, they want to see that. They want to see somebody get beat up because they want to have that chance to, to help somebody. But I just think that... Um, uh, and, and, and it might be because they're on the road for, you know, 250 days or whatever it is. Maybe they don't to, to save their body. But it, I love this business so much. And this is not going to make sense to nobody. I like doing the wrestling business. I hate this. I love this business so much I hate it. I love the business because it gave so much to me. But I hate it the way it turned out. Because it, it you know, get get. Do you see do you see them coming back and making a John Wayne movie and making it so John Wayne don't get beat up and just goes out there and 
You know what? I still watch those movies. I'll go on uh, Amazon Prime Video, and they have a lot of John Wayne movies. I think I watched McClintock a couple of weeks ago. I just I can't get enough of those movies. There's such but a good story watch, behind them. But would you watch if they done if they done John Wayne movies like they done Russell now? Oh heck no! And, I mean, like you wouldn't even know if John Wayne was a good guy or a bad guy. He'd be a tweener. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think two things hurt this business. If I can speak on this for a second, ACW. Because yes, they got to the point where they got to the point where everybody's got those tables and 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 chairs and come out the rafters. Well, it got people in their mind seeing all that, and then nothing ever satisfied them. The the people always want what they can have in, in their mind. Well, when you give it everything you have and you go out and those chairs and come off and break five or six tables and da 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 the more you give these people, the more they want. Now you can't satisfy them unless you shoot somebody with a gun or run them over with a Mack truck. These people, the fans will never be satisfied now because they've already seen all that. You know, that's why, that's why I love this style wrestling. It's because you start off with a match, and then six weeks later you had a cage match, or you had a barbell match, or you had a, a you know uh, something to build up to, and the people had something to, to to think about for the next six weeks. Now you just give it to them right away, you know. That's just like going going on on a date and 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 taking a girl on a date and making her up for the first night. You ain't got nothing to look forward to. And I'm not being I'm not being mean or or, or or nasty or disrespectful, but you have to give these people something to work for. And these days and times, we don't do that. We give them everything all at one time. And that's what hurt and walk to me. You know, it's, it's funny, Gary, because, you know, I grew up in New York. The old WWF with Vince McMahon Sr., with Bruno as the champion, um, and it, they did it for years and years and years. They'd bring a new, you know, a new heel in from somewhere else, uh, just as an example, they brought uh, Bob Orton Sr. in, and they named him Rocky Fitzpatrick in 1968. And you know they made the guy invincible. He went through everybody. Usually, either either the heel would go through uh, the number one babyface, which usually was either Dominic DiNucci or um, uh, Bruno's cousin Antonio Pugliese, or they'd have the heel attack Arnold Scullin, uh Bruno's manager, you know, to build up a little heat. And then you know they'd have the sellout at the Garden. And it would be, and so, but this built up over a number of weeks. And then, uh, then usually if it was good, they, they got two or three matches out of it. You know, by the, the third one's probably either a cage match or something like that, some kind of gimmick match. But now you have three sellouts of 22,000 people for a few that you, you took the time to build. And it just seems nowadays that they're throwing these feuds together as, you know, as the show unfolds on Raw. They're trying to build an angle like on the fly. Yeah, and, and and the heels these days are scared to get heat. They want to be they want to be a heel, but they want to be loved. And and everybody wants to be a stone cold, but there's there's not there's not but one stone cold. There's not but one Jerry the King Lawler. There's not but one rock. And like I said, I don't want to be Jimmy Hyatt. I just want to be happy as he was. But Everybody wanted to. Everybody wanted to be that Stone Cold because they want to be a heel and they want everybody to love them. Well, where 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 is it 
the psychology of the business where if you want to be a if you want to be a bad guy, you know what? Go out there and be a bad guy. And no matter how many people curse you or throw stuff at you, you know what? Take that. But if you want to be a good guy, then the baby faces these days don't even want to get beat down. They afraid it's going to hurt them. And Ricky Morton is probably one of the best guys ever. One of the best sellers, I don't care. And I was such honor when they got me the Ricky Morton Babyface Award a couple months ago. I, to me, that's better than winning a title belt because a promoter can put a title belt on you. But the boys recognize you as being one of the best sellers in this business. And that's where the, the kids these days don't want to sell. If you look at anybody, any matches these days, how many people, how many guys that you actually really see sell? Besides AJ Styles, and he was brought up, you know, kind of at the at the tail end of the old school. You know, Shawn Michaels used to sell all the time until pay per view. You know, um, but that's what got Shawn over. He took huge and, bumps. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, but if you look at the, the wrestling business today, be honest with yourself: how many people you actually see? that want to get beat up every week. Not many. Yeah. Now, you, you hit it on the head, and you also see it uh, with, you mentioned AJ Styles, a great example, is when they're trying to build talent today, which is kind of a lost art on itself, you have to put them in the ring with these guys that are in their 40s because – and, and unless you're a seasoned veteran, like you said, like an AJ Styles or a, a Robert Roode, somebody who's been you know around the block a few times, even in AEW, uh, you, you have some some older talent that's working great for who they are. You have to do that because you can't build up these guys putting them against young talent because nobody under the age of 25 sells anything. I mean, you watch these matches where. Uh, you see, and I've said it before on the show, somebody gets power bombed off the top rope through two flaming tables, and that's not the finish. Like, you know, they they kick out or or they get, you know, hit, hit in the head with a with a two by four wrapped in barbed wire and kick out at two. Like at this point now, I've seen you're invincible. I'm not I, you're not gonna get beat with uh, a slam or some kind of move. I'm gonna literally need to kill you and it, it, it hurts the gimmick because it, nobody ever looks strong not being able to put away opponents. Right. Um, and, you know, and I I started liking Cody uh, when AEW first came out because Cody, he knew what his dad was doing. He knew what his dad built. And Cody was laying down and getting beat up by everybody. Uh, but Cody, and you got to be honest with, everybody's got to be honest with, Cody did not become a true babyface until about three weeks ago when he had that hurt shoulder and he supposedly worked um, Seth Rollins or somebody with that tore shoulder. And people put him over like a million dollars. Oh, my God. He, I can't believe he's done that. But they was booing him in AEW. But then when he got hurt and he came out there and worked hurt, the people believed what he was doing. And now he's a big babyface. Yeah, when he took his robe off and he, you saw how purple his chest and shoulder was, I I mean, I can only imagine how much pain he was in. And it was the best match of the night by a mile and a half. But, but you believe he was hurt, right? Yes, oh, absolutely. And you, 
felt sympathy for him, right? Absolutely. Yep. That's what is lost in this business today. Because the people want to be able to feel sorry for you and be able to cheer for you. But if you don't give them that, then why are we even, why are we even doing live shows? Yep, the you're absolutely right. The people want to be able to, to come and, and, and be able to. That's why the government tells you go vote, go vote. Because they're giving you the right to do what you want to do. Well, in wrestling business, you go up and you get the crap beat out of you. Give them people that opportunity to care for you. But if you go up there and you beat everybody up, then who have you beat? Really? Who have you beat? Yeah. Very true. You know, just like when, when Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson. What a freaking soccer, right? People don't yep. believe that. But that was, that was, oh my God. Just like when I pulled this club against Brock Lesnar and, and then Taker. You know, oh my God. Because Taker sold for Brock and went down. And the people was, holy shit, I can't believe that. But the people in their mind thought that Taker was going to win. So he went out there and sold. And it got Taker over. Yeah. And, and I, I think these days at times, you can go and get trained from somebody, and they'll teach you every move in the book. And that, but that, you know what? It doesn't matter because if you don't teach them the psychology of what makes money, then why do you even teach them how to wrestle? Can't I can't argue with that logic? And that's Benny. Go ahead, Gary. So just say this Sunday you had a microphone, and just say. Say it was day one of uh, Boogie's wrestling camp. You know, brand new students. You know, you got a room. You know, you're in the ring. There's 25, 20 to 25 students who, you know, they haven't even, they, they signed up. They haven't taken a bump yet or anything. What would you tell them? What advice would you give them as far as, the, you know, the whole journey and everything? What, 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 you know, what words of wisdom would you impart to them? The, I would ask them a question. Are you here to make money or are you here to wrestle? And I'll tell you why. Because if you're here to make money, then leave. Because you're going to get beat up for the next three or four years, five years, before you make money. And when you tell people that, they, they don't want to, they don't, they want to be jump right in and be a superstar right away. They don't want to pay their bills. And Research people that you get, you know, Boogie's camp probably one of the best. Uh, but, you know, research the people that you go to before you go to a wrestling camp. Where have they been? Who have they wrestled? Uh, you know, how long have they been in this business? Uh, because those things, though, you get what you pay for. And if you go to a $500 camp, you don't get $500 for the training. And you're not going to get no money. But if you have to pay $3,500 and go through it for six months, guess what? You're going to learn how to work. You're going to learn the psychology. And you're going to learn how to respect this business. And if you don't respect this business, you don't get in it. you got to have heart. you got to have love. you got to have passion for wrestling business. Uh, if you're getting in it and you're still a superstar, then you're getting in it to be wrong for the wrong reason. Um, because I'm telling you, it, it would take a toll on you, and it would beat you down. And 
um, what people don't realize is, is you might be in West Virginia Friday night, but you might be in Nashville uh, Tuesday night. Who knows you in Nashville? If you leave your hometown, who knows you? And the hardest thing about this business is, is you might wrestle in your hometown that night, and you might be a hero that night, but guess what? In the morning, you're going to be a zero because nobody knows you. And you're going to have to get out there and you're going to, When I started, there was no internet. So you had to travel 10, 12, 15 miles um, in 15 hours to get noticed. But you know what? That's what made me respect this business. And it's like a, a, a new student getting in this business, if he don't have no respect to have to work for it, it's like me buying my son his, his first car. I bought him his first car, gave him his first car. He drove the wheels off of it. He blew the engine because he never changed the oil. Got it out of doubt. He didn't care because he didn't have to pay for it. But the time he bought his car, his old car, guess what? He washed it every day. He made sure he had good tires. He made sure he went to oil change the place every month. Why? Because he had to work for it. I like it. Give somebody. Huh? I was agreeing with you. I was. When you give somebody something, they don't respect it. But when they have to work for it and own it, that's when they respond. You know, God don't give you anything. He, he gets you to ask, come and ask him, help me. Come, come to me and ask for it. He don't just give you anything. But people don't go to God unless they really need him. Just like life. If you tell God every day, thank you for, uh, praise the Lord for this, praise the Lord for that. You know what? Then you're going to live a better life because you, you're, you're appreciating every day what he's done before. Um, so if you, in this, in, in this life, if you work for what you get and, and you would really appreciate a whole lot more. Because if you look at WWE's roster, lobbing guys that got the hand picked, where were they at today? Really? Look at Miz. Miz had to work his tail off. And he got booted out of the locker room for six, eight months. Uh, they didn't want him there. But he worked for it. And look at him now. He's probably one of the biggest stars there. True or false? Yeah. That's, yeah, no, 100%. So, um, you, you, have to, uh, you have to work for everything you got. That would be my best. Uh, and, and you know, and they, the new kids, kids these days, keeping those clean. Um, watch, watch out who you run with, because I'm telling you, guilty uh, by association. I was nervous a lot of times when I was in WWE, riding with different people, because I didn't know what they had in their bag. Um, traveling down the road at two o'clock in the morning, got pulled over. You didn't know what they had. You didn't, you didn't want to ask because it wasn't your business. But you prayed to God that you didn't get pulled over either. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? It, it just, yeah. uh, I, I, love the, I love the entertainment part. I really do. Uh, but, you know, if, if you may, uh, that kid, this is not, it's not a business for you. Because, uh, I missed birthdays 
I miss uh, uh, doing stuff for my kids. I, I, I miss everything because I was WWE, uh, and I'm not I'm not not WWE, but they take these guys when they're 22, 23 years old, and they sign up for a 10 year deal where they give them so much money, right? Well, you get signed for 10 years, and you got you stuck with that amount of money every year for 10 years. Because at the age of 22, 23, same as me, I was making $1,500 a week. I didn't care if I made $200 a week. You know why? Because I wanted to be a star. I wanted to be on TV. And you've already beat your body up over the next 10 years, and but they're making both good money off of you. <laughs> Most of them, just that, you know. And and that's why they want the young kids. Because once you sign that dotted line, you're not looking at the money you're going to make. You're looking at being a star at that moment. And a lot of a lot of people got lucky, and they, you know, invest their money like Jericho and different people. But if you look at some of the guys today, they're they're working, you know. But they you know, I, I love Rick Flair, but why is he still up? You know. Uh, because of the decisions he's made over the years, you know, and uh, the the guys, the older guys, have told me, and I never understood this until now. It's not the money you make; it's the money you save. You know, you can make bookies of money, but how much money do you save um, so you can rest and, and you can enjoy yourself? And, and, and you know, look at look at Jimmy Valley. He he works all the way up to you know. I can respect that. Like I like that. it. Yeah. Um, but you know, you, you just gotta keep your nose clean. You gotta keep your head straight. Um, and, and 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 just be be true to yourself. Be true to yourself and never lose who you are and never lose where you come from. Because they, they, they always told me uh, what goes up must come down. You're going to pass some of them guys when you're going out, but guess what? You're going to pass them coming back down. Too. Nothing lasts forever. Nothing stays up forever. Uh, so it's harder to stay up there than it is to get there. Um, you know, just enjoy the ride, enjoy, um, um, enjoy every single moment that you have, uh, because tomorrow's not promising. You know, look at, um, Ross, you know, they were about to push him to the top, and, and you know, um, like a stone cold when he was on his palm, you know, that he had with. So, you know, just always remember where you come from. And, and I always appreciate what you got because it might not be here tomorrow. Well, I could think of no better uh, closing words. Uh, Gary, thank you again so much for your time. But before we let you go, uh, one final question. What uh, you said you're working about four times a week. What do you have coming up? What's the future hold for Gary Valiant coming up here? Well, I've got a, a couple shows coming up. Uh, I got a big show coming up. Uh, you know, they're going to put me in the Hall of Fame 
on August the 6th for Rocky Top Wrestling, and then they're going to put me in the Hall of Fame for RWL um, on August the 20th. But they're also doing a big show. Uh, There's five companies coming together on August the 7th in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. It's a company called Top. Um, there's also a company called SWL, um, No Limit, Square One, and OWF are coming together for one big show. Uh, there's five promotions coming together uh, to see just to see how they can how they can coexist and, 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 and come together. Uh, and I, I think that the hardest part is uh, just finishing pushing go over. <laughs> but you know, but it well, it doesn't matter. You know, as long as you're putting on one hell of a show. Uh, but uh, you know, I got I got um, 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 I got uh, USA Championship Wrestling coming up. Um, like I said, I got um, shows coming up um, for um, for SICW out of St. Louis. Uh, so I got I got my uh, my book is booked all the way up to almost uh, the end of September right now. So nice, I like it. Benny, final thought to you. I, I just, I never get tired of hearing gentlemen like Gary or we, you know, we had Buck Bresner also right about Gary's age, also been wrestling. Uh, and also uh, Buck does say hi to you, Gary. He said you're a great worker and he has enormous respect for you. But another gentleman, Buck, who, you know, guys in his early fifties, still, still wrestling, you know, the, the, they, they, they don't do it for the money they do it for the love of wrestling that's i asked buck i said do you you know is it for the money he said no i just love it and you know hearing gary talk i hear the exact same thing and it's just it's just a great thing that these guys are still doing it and and they you know they have a huge impact on the people that watch them every week and i i i want to say thank you to you guys for for keeping wrestling alive on podcasting because if you want to talking about it. If it wasn't for fans buying tickets, we wouldn't have a job. Thank you guys for, for doing what you do. Um, I don't think they'll get enough appreciation either. And, uh, and thank you for keeping wrestling alive and, and talking about wrestling and all the things. I just want to say special thanks. And, and I really, I am really humbled and honored to be able to talk to you guys on, on, this, on this show tonight. Well, again, thank you so much. Trust me, the pleasure was all ours. Um, we appreciate your time and we look forward to seeing more coming from you in the future. So Gary Valiant, again, thank you so much. Uh, have a great evening and we wish you nothing but the best. And we'll definitely, uh, you got a lot coming up, like you said, with the hall of fame and everything, Benny will reach out to you and we'll definitely try and have you back on at a later date. Hey, uh, if, uh, we all go to graduation, when y'all go to graduation, that's it. Let's hook up. We'll grab, we'll grab Dan or Ross or something like that. It'll be on me. Yeah, you got it. There you right. go. I'll see you guys. All right, thank you, guys. What a perk of a job. Have a great night, Gary. Thank you again. God bless you guys. Man, what a perk of a job, Benny. Look at that. <laughs> at least I'm not going to get any chops. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I might get one at the restaurant, but not not in the ring. Right. Well, you know, if you're going to be there, you're going to have to take at least one. I want to upload that video to the podcast site. I told uh, I told Carnage that I'd let him give me one, but I don't know. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> we'll see if uh, <laughs> see see if anybody there. Uh, you know, you got you you take something, maybe maybe a, a soft slam, something that uh, is e- e- easy to go. You know, 
Uh, you know, at my age, maybe an ear flick. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll uh, we'll make it we'll make it simple. Uh, they'll hit you, but we'll make sure that we'll make sure it's one of those I'll luxury. Sell it. Mm-hmm. It's one of the. We'll, we'll, they'll hit you in the back, but it'll be one of those luxury padded chairs, like okay. you can get at the fa- fancy restaurants. <laughs> Another great show, Benny. What do you think? Oh yeah, yeah. I I just enjoy people like Gary, and you know these these <clears throat> these guys are you know at an age where you know probably long past where they you know most normal guys would retire, but because they love it so much. They keep doing it, and people coming out. People keep coming out to see him, and they love him, and that's all good. Everybody wins. And Gary's another great example. I mean, we like you've said we've had you know Brock Bresner and some of these other guys on that are that are twenty, thirty plus years, and they could still work circles around people half their age with some of the talent. And I use that term loosely: talent floating around the wrestling business today. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spashion. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring. Good night.